I'm Dr. G, and for the past 10 years of my life, I've been passionate about all things holistic healing. I've been committed to healing myself and others from the inside out by incorporating some of the most effective modalities for healing the mental, the emotional, and the physical. I've learned that they give us the opportunity to be our most authentic and powerful selves. Heal Thyself is a show dedicated to just that. Today's show is going to be incredible, and I say it every week, of course I do, because it is incredible. Knowledge bombs of digestible information to empower and create clarity on what the highest version of us looks like. Product reviews to provide informed consent so you can buy the safest and best products out there, better than the first two that I spoke about, and you're getting other B vitamins, which are energizing, right? Get off of it, throw it away. And special guest segments with some of the brightest and most elite minds in their field. So what is that like on my nervous system? Six hours of holding that emotion. Here's the earth, here's the mechanisms and mechanics of an earth when it breathes. We would think much different about that asthma patient that shows up. All to create change in all the parts that make you, you, so we can start healing ourselves and each other. All right, everyone, thank you for joining the show. Heal thyself. As always, taking the time out of your day. So much love to you. And really, really uh, take a moment before we even jump into this. We'll take two seconds, two, two to five seconds to just bring some gratitude to yourself that you came, showed up, opened up your heart, opened up your mind, opened up your soul to listening to some deeper truths or something that may resonate or something that can empower you or something that can change the world for yourself and others. Today, you just showed up. Take one second, two seconds, three seconds to know that you showed up and I bring you gratitude to that. Okay. So today's show, a special guest, man, we have Dr. Darren Ingalls. He is the foremost leader in all things Lyme disease. So he's going to talk all about not only Lyme disease, but also the co-infections that come with it and also autoimmune disease. Knowledge Bomb segment, we're just going to go off the cuff and we're going to talk a little bit about, man, relationships and love and intimacy and all of these things that really bring so much life to us, but also so much teaching and so much lessons. You know, skincare isn't just about looking good, right? A lot of us want to look good, but it's not just about looking good. It's about nurturing your skin and being well-balanced from the inside out. And, you know, this world is flooded with a bunch of harsh chemicals that are really insulting our skin, our barrier. And you want something truly effective that is safe. Alitura is one of the best in the game. If you never heard of Alitura, you just think of, you might've seen some uh, black bottles with gold writing on it. It's one of the best. And they're always at health events and people are loving them. And their quality. Alitura Naturals has crafted a serum that is not only safe, but also incredibly effective. Listen, a lot of you ask me where I get my glow from. This is a huge part of the equation. Their gold serum isn't just another skincare product. It's a testament to the power of natural healing and a commitment to holistic health. It uses organic ingredients like jojoba, olive, rosehip oils, and the gold serum is made organically with plant-derived vitamin A, not synthetic stuff, not that nasty stuff that you're getting in a lot of these over-the-counter products, GHKCU, and marine collagen to revitalize your skin. Alitura Naturals has been using the best ingredients in their products for years. They've been pioneering the path for what truly transformed skin should be. So if you're ready to take control of your skin health and experience the pinnacle of natural beauty, I highly recommend checking out Alituria Naturals. For a limited time, you, the Heal Thyself listener, will enjoy the exclusive discount, just the Heal Thyself discount, only for you. That's 20% off of this gold serum. Go to alitura.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com and get that 20% discount. It's amazing stuff. I use it every night before bed and I'm telling you, I'm on fire with my skin in a good way. Check it out. All right, let's face it. With all the toxins we're exposed to nowadays with processed foods, pollutants, and even stress, our poor livers have been working overtime. If you've been feeling sluggish, bloated, or just overall rundown, it may be time to give your hardworking liver some extra love and support. That is where Organifi's Liver Detox comes in. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfoods. This convenient little capsule contains a powerhouse blend of clinically studied superfood ingredients specifically designed to remove excess toxins and improve digestion, promote healthier energy levels, and just overall liver health. Now, one of the key ingredients is artichoke leaf extract, which has been clinically proven to help detoxify the liver and digestive tract. Then you got the all-star liver protector. You heard of it, milk thistle, an herb that has been used for centuries to give your liver a big old hug. That's not all. 
Organifi's liver detox also contains dandelion root, one of my favorite ones of all time, which is loaded with vitamins and minerals to promote healthy liver function and digestion. And finally, Trophalia, an ancient Ayurvedic formula packed with antioxidants that have been traditionally used as a powerful liver tonic, one of my favorite ones too. So whether you're dealing with sluggish digestion, low energy, or just want to give your body's main detox engine a little extra love, Organifi's Liver Detox has your back. Just take one to three capsules at any point during the day to start supporting your liver's natural detox pathways. All of us need to be supporting our liver. If you want to experience the energy boosting, liver supporting effects of this fantastic formula, head to OrganifiShop.com and use the code DRG for 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I shop.com slash DRG. For today's knowledge bomb, I wanted to talk about something really important, which we sort of dipped into with some guests over the years. Uh, and I've talked a little bit about on the show through knowledge bombs, but really it's a concept and the experience and the phenomenon of relationships. We look at them and we just many times just go into them blindly or on autopilot and not seeing the gift of what's there. Even those relationships that you've had in your life that's lasted for maybe a month, maybe two months, maybe the flings. But I'm of the believer that everything has value. Everything's here to show you something very important if you listen. So relationships to me, and again, anytime I go on these rants, I speak what I speak, and hopefully you all resonate. The importance is that you listen to and feel, right? It's not necessarily the words, it's the feel. If you feel something and something is buzzing inside of you, or you're sort of drawn into the, like what I'm saying, or it's tapping into something deeper, then listen to that because that means something deeper is talking to you, your intuition is talking to you, and your intuition is everything. That is your compass in life. It will lead you everywhere you ever wanted to, it will lead you to why you're here. So, Relationships are an interesting phenomenon because in many ways, and here's the irony, the irony of life, in many ways we are here and we have this human experience and we don't necessarily need anyone or anything, right? Because everything is within us. And we've heard that so many times, right? Different sages throughout time, philosophers, gurus, everything is within you. You don't need to do all of these things that you think you need to do because they're in you which is really powerful because with that thinking, then we can understand that we don't necessarily even need anyone in this human experience to tap into that which we are. The irony behind that and the contradiction behind that is also we need everyone. And here's why. Because in order to better understand the people we are and what we're creating and who we want to be and the things that are not us and the things that don't align we need other people to show us that which we want to be more of and create within ourselves or remember within ourselves for better terms or the things we don't resonate with and don't want to bring into our energy field. So think about this. Life is expansive. Life is creative. We are always creating, constructing, and deconstructing who we are. And we can do it on autopilot. We do it a lot. But when we're conscious of ourselves and we look at ourselves and we think about every single day how we show it up, or how we show up, then we get to pick certain things, certain characteristics that don't serve us anymore and add in others. But the powerful thing about it is that we need relativity for that. We need to see that which in another, which doesn't serve us. And we absolutely don't want to bring into our creation. But the very things like authenticity, the very things like open-hearted expression, the very things about speaking people speaking their truth really rooted in love, we're attracted to those things because we are those things and we can bring them in. Moving on to relationships, I've always been, always been of the understanding that there's something here. Did I embody what I could have been in relationships? Absolutely not. And the beautiful thing about the ego is that it's here. It's here to protect us. It's always been here to protect us. It's even when our mind conceptually wants to experience something, the ego and the body remembers the memory that caused the trauma that holds us back from experiencing that or doing that very thing. So it's interesting to disconnect. And I know you felt it before when conceptually you want to do something, 
something in the past that you didn't really ever do or your phobia or something you're really scared of, you go, no, I've actually read books on this and I've talked to therapists about this and I know I can do it. But then when you're there, your body's freezing up and your ego's saying, no, you're not enough. Don't do this. Get away. Get away. Well, that's just a protective mechanism. The beautiful thing also is that we can always check the ego. I'll repeat that. The beautiful thing is that we can always check our ego. It doesn't need to sponsor every single experience that we have. Unfortunately, it sponsors every experience we have, almost every relationship we have. It comes up always and always and always. And we know this because look at the world. It's the way it is. The world is the way it is because ego are sponsoring most people's human experience. So the beautiful thing about relationships is they show you very particularly, very blatantly where you need to heal. And it's a powerful thing if you understand relationships, right? And not just like coworkers or friendships, but we're talking about loving partnerships, which is even relationships on steroids. Because when you have emotion and feeling and passion involved with someone else and you care for them on a deeper level, the mirror that they hold is bigger than anyone else's mirror that will ever be held to you aside from maybe your parents or loved ones. Man, do they hold a mirror. And so many of us do not pay attention to that mirror. We overlook it. As I said, on many times on this show, we look behind it and we point to the person holding the mirror and we villainize them and we chastise them and we yell and we do all the things. That's the ego. Remember, the ego protecting us because what they're doing with that mirror is showing you where you need to heal. By showing you where you need to heal, it's in essence expressing and exposing that trauma where the ego had to show up in the first place. So understand this mechanism. It's a very important mechanism for you all to understand because it can actually elevate your relationship in so many ways. When you feel that trigger coming up with a partner and it's in front of you, there's an opportunity. Now I have, if for the viewers who are watching, I have this really cool bracelet. It's purple and it's brass or copper. No, it's, it looks like it's brass. My friend Chris Pan made it from my intent. And I said, and he literally made it at a dinner last week. And he said, well, what, what, do you, what word do you want to put on this? And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, word, what word? What word do I really want to like sponsor my every single day? Now I have intuition tattooed on my wrist, so I'm not going to get that on a bracelet. Intuition is very powerful. It's my compass. But I put the word choice. And the reason I put the word choice is because it's really, really powerful. If you understand that you have a choice on how you want to show up, it can change the whole landscape of every relationship you've ever had, ever, and going to have. Choice is important. Now, you have the inciting factor. Your partner triggers you and you go, oh, I'm so mad again. You're, you're calling me irresponsible, right? And sure, that feels judgmental, but is there truth in there? Do you find that maybe your egoic protective mechanism is protecting you from stepping into an integrity responsibility that you're scared to do? Did someone tell you all your life you're irresponsible and they're only mirroring what responsibility means to you, right? So the ego is going to come up really quick for most of us. And I've been guilty of it a million and one times. The ego is going to come up really quick and go, I, I don't, 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 don't call me irresponsible. What, what are you doing? Don't show me that mirror. Actually move this mirror. I'm going to yell at you for the next hour and I'm going to be mad at you for the next two hours. And you know what? I might give you the silent treatment for the next three days. And guess what? The ego won and I've protected myself. The ego showed up exactly the way it was designed to show up because in that mechanism, in that moment, when you were young, when you were an adolescent or teenager and irresponsibility came up and someone called you irresponsible and really hurt you. Your ego came up and said, I'm here to protect you. Don't you worry about it. I got you the rest of your life. The choice, the choice in it is that you have such a powerful moment where you can go, let me stop. Let me make the choice to listen to what you're saying. Now, let me take a moment. Let me breathe. It may not resonate with me. You actually may be kind of off and maybe it's it's based on the lens you're seeing life through because I think of myself as pretty responsible, but let me hear what you're saying. Let me actually look at that mirror that you're holding up and see if it's reflecting on me. Ooh, it kind of is. Wait a minute. I'm, I've actually always been scared of responsibility or stepping into that. It doesn't have to be responsibility. It could be anything. It could be intimacy. It could be integrity, right? It can be, it can be just speaking with an open heart. It could be showing emotion. It could be all the things that your ego is protecting you from doing because it's not thinking it's safe. And the illusion is that it is safe, especially with a loving partner. If you have a loving partner, it's safe. Loving partner is the key word. And you have the choice. You have the choice to look at the mirror 
and look at and see if your reflection is on there. And if it is, you have the most beautiful moment in the history of man and woman because that's called self-reflection. You get to look at yourself and you go, holy shit, she's right or he's right. And now I'm going to go, ego, I love you. I don't need you for this one. You can move away. Let me feel that pain of when I was a child and someone called me irresponsible or someone said, you're not intimate or someone said, you're not responsible. Someone said that, that you're, you're so cold or you're such a crybaby. All these things, you get to step into that with self-reflection. And boy, oh boy, is that the healing mechanism for the world? Because the moment you make that self-reflection, your ego goes, you're all right, you're all right. And you say, hey, I'm all right. And your ego goes, okay, you sure? Because I can step in here and we can put up our swords and and shield and our armor and really get at this person who's exposing you. You go, no, 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 no. It's, it's okay. I got this. The more you get to check that ego with choice, the more you allow that landscape between you and your partner to flourish. And I'm telling you, every time you choose not to look at what your partner is showing you, you burn that landscape, you butcher it, you cut it up, and you don't let those beautiful flowers of the relationship grow. So what I'm doing here is challenging you all. Take that moment when your partner triggers you. Take that moment to see very quickly, look at it and go, the mirror you're showing me, is that, is that, am I in there? Oh, well, that is me. Let me, let me take this opportunity with choice, choice to look at myself through self-reflection and see if what you're saying is true. And sometimes, sometimes, actually could be many times, what the partner is reflecting to you you're not in that reflection. And it could be based on their own triggers and their own traumas. And it couldn't, the statement doesn't even have to be right, but it's worth looking at if that partner is correct. Because if they are correct and they love you, they will hold the space for you to heal. They'll hold the space with love, compassion, and patience for you to heal that part for you. Because guess what? It's your responsibility to show up the same way for them. And that's a conscious loving relationship when you both can look into the mirrors that you guys are holding up for each other and decide very consciously with choice to grow. And boy, oh boy, the more you both grow together, you intertwine in the most loving, passionate, deeply rooted, spiritually driven, conscious relationship you can ever have that will, that will leap past any boundary that you ever thought. And it'll expand both your love for each other and the love for the world. Do that. I challenge you. Check it out. That's my piece on love. That's my piece on relationships. That's my knowledge bomb. Let's get to this special guest interview with Dr. Darren Ingalls. All right, everyone. Today's special guest, Dr. Darren Ingalls. He's a fellow naturopathic doctor. And you know I get, I love getting my community of naturopathic doctors on this show. So I'm super excited to have this convo because guess what? In all of these shows, we have over 120 shows. I've never spoke about Lyme disease. It's been a long time since I promoted a coffee because there's not that many good coffee brands. We got one of the best ones now on Heal Thyself. Are you ready to elevate your coffee game? An experience of brew that's not only delicious, but it's also health focused. Let me introduce you to Purity Coffee. You heard me review them in one of my first ever coffee reviews as one of the best, and then my second ever one as one of the best. And it's one of the best still. It's an ultimate choice for coffee lovers who, who prioritize taste as well as well being. I'm going to tell you what makes Purity Coffee stand out from the crowd. Every step in that process is rooted in health focused principles backed by solid scientific research based rigorous testing. They use the finest specialty grade organic Arabica beans and then move on to small batch roasting, ensuring that each cup meets the highest standards of quality. But what really sets Purity Coffee apart from all the other coffee brands is their dedication, is my favorite, is their dedication to purity and safety. Their beans undergo third-party testing to ensure they're free of pesticides, toxins, and harmful mycotoxins, those pesky substances that can wreak havoc on your health, causing issues like liver and kidney damage, digestive problems, brain fog, and fatigue. Purity Coffee also has some of the highest antioxidant capacity. And this is important because we have to understand coffee is actually really good for us when we're getting quality coffee. And the reason it's good for us and ensures so many benefits, especially heart health, is because of its antioxidant capacity. Purity has one of the highest antioxidants that you're going to find in coffee, giving you a powerful dose of healthy boosting compounds with every sip. Purity Coffee is grown on regenerative organic farms that prioritize soil health 
animal welfare and community well-being. They have certifications by USDA Organic, Rainforest Alliance, and Smithsonian Bird Friendly. You can also trust Purity Coffee is not only good for you, but also good for the planet. They have a range of roasts from their light medium roast with sweet fruity notes and their dark roast with rich bold taste. So to try out one of my favorite coffees in existence and one that I recommend to everyone still to this day, I've been doing it for years, is Purity Coffee. Go to puritycoffee.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your first purchase. That is P-U-R-I-T-Y-C-O-F-F-E-E.com and use the code DRG for 30% off of your order. You know, living a long life is great. It is. We all want to live longer. But what's even better is living those years in good health, right? Free of the chronic diseases and the ailments. Unfortunately for many, the gap between lifespan and health span is way too wide. And we spent our last years ill, not enjoying our life to the fullest. And that's why I'm always into research-based products, quality supplements that are coming out to you, the highest, the best of the best, some of the best rigorously tested supplements. And one of my favorite companies across the board is Momentus. And they have two that I use every single day, creatine and collagen. These are the two powerhouses at work. I've been open. Opened and I've been working out more four times a week. I'm lifting heavy weights. And these are staples. And, I, and not just me. I think everyone should be out working out, building muscle. Staples to muscle repair and muscle growth. But what sets Momentus apart from the rest is its clinically researched formulas. For the collagen, it delivers 15 grams of collagen, supporting your body in various ways. And it's not just one type of collagen, it's all the types of collagen, right? A lot of companies just have one type of collagen. You want all the types of your body's absorbing and utilizing this collagen the way you desire the body to use it. But boy, oh boy, the gold standard for working out, if you're not on this, you don't even have to be working out. You can use it for your brain. It's creatine. Momentous creatine is fantastic. There's no fillers, no additive, pure, effective ingredients you can trust. Trust is everything when it comes to supplements. Momentous third-party test. There's no surprises. What you see on the package is what you get. So if you're like me, you want to feel your body with the best of the best, go to livemomentous.com and use the code DRG for 15% off of creatine and collagen and all their top-notch products. That is L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S.com with the code DRG for your discount. Now, I'm so blessed to have the expert on here. My man, thank you for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me here, Christian. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I man, first of all, off air, we were talking about how long I've been trying to get you on here. Uh, the pandemic really threw a monkey wrench in this. But I remember we were talking a little bit on uh, at one of the conferences, the AAMP for the naturopathic doctors, and we were talking about Lyme disease. Right. And how, I saw how passionate you were. I'm like, I gotta get this guy on the show ASAP. Um, but now it's perfect timing because now we have a bigger audience. And now we have more people who can use this help. But first of all, how did you get into Lyme disease? Do you have a personal story with it or a loved one? I'd love to know, first of all, how a doc chooses Lyme disease, one of like the hardest diseases to go into. Well, it was personal experience. I lived in Connecticut for almost 20 years. In fact, after I finished my residency, I moved to Connecticut and started to practice there. And literally two weeks before I opened my own business, I got Lyme disease. And I had classic Lyme disease. I had a big bullseye rash. I had fever, joint pain, everything you read in a medical textbook I had. Fortunately, I treated it right away. And within four days of being on antibiotics, I felt great. Uh, but having just started my own business where I did everything, I worked six, seven days a week, working 10, 12 hour days, eight months into that schedule, I relapsed. I started having symptoms again. And I said, okay, well, I treated this before, no problem. Went back on antibiotics, did nothing went on another set of antibiotics for another month, did nothing. I went through nine months of being on various antibiotics and I got worse. Whoa. I lost 30 pounds in about nine months. My gut was a wreck. And you know, it kind of dawned on me as a naturopathic doctor, right? It's like, this is kind of going against everything we know that allows the body to heal. So I was fortunate to have known a doctor in New York City. He's a Chinese medical doctor and acupuncturist. And I saw him and he started treating me with Chinese herbs and also gave me the knock on the head. It's like, you know, you're not taking care of yourself. You're not eating well, you're not sleeping well. And after I started really kind of taking stock of my own health and starting this Chinese herbal regimen, within a month, I felt 80, 85% better. So, you know, through that, you know, it still took me another two years to feel like I really got my health back. Wow. But I really started applying what I learned about myself to my Lyme patients. And I figured, found that they were getting better faster. Mm. I'm like, right, because it's not just about treating the disease. You know, it's really about the terrain. And if you don't facilitate a healthy terrain, it's really hard to overcome any infection. So, you know, Lyme disease is just one of many infections out there that people battle that, you know, we get focused so much on just trying to kill the bug. And we kind of forget about all these other things that happen in our body that really allow us to overcome that infection and heal. 
So, you know, now having treated 8,000 Lyme patients plus, you know, I've learned a lot about, you know, what we need to do to not just deal with Lyme disease, but all these other kind of infections we're dealing with mm -hmm. so that, again, we can work with the body instead of against it. I perfectly said, like a naturopathic doctor who knows what he knows. And I love that your personal story was connected to that because you're able to show up for these patients in a much more deeper, profound, connective way because you can, you know what they're going through. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love that you've seen so many patients. For people who are viewing or listening who don't know how common Lyme disease is, how common is Lyme disease? Yeah, it's it's scary how common it is. And depending on where you live in the world, I think there's this level of uh, uneducation uh, about Lyme disease. So if you look at the CDC statistics, we have 476,000 new cases a year. That's new cases. So you can do the math and you go, wow, if we had 476,000 new cases every year, and we think that's underestimated. So it could be half a million, could be a lot more. So we literally have millions of people in the United States alone. And again, this is a worldwide problem. It's considered by both the World Health Organization and the CDC, the fastest growing infectious disease in the world. And I know right now we're all clouded with the pandemic and COVID-19, mm -hmm. which of course is a big deal, but you know we still have all these people out there dealing with Lyme disease. And the sad thing is so many people don't know they have it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, with the symptoms of Lyme disease, we call it the great imitator, the great mimic. It looks like a lot of other illnesses. So when people start to get these symptoms, if it's not blatantly obvious, uh, or if you happen to live in a part of the country where Lyme isn't really considered endemic, then underdiagnosis, misdiagnosis is extremely common. So I'm sure we have hundreds of thousands of people out there living with Lyme that just don't know they have it. Ooh, which is scary, right? Because maybe someone's terrain is really strong and they have some symptoms. It doesn't get super severe, but they're living with Lyme now. Yeah. Or someone gets really knocked down to the floor and they're suffering with Lyme for many years. What are some of the, you mentioned the bullseye rash for yourself and um, just the fatigue and the joint pain, but what are other symptoms that you see in your patients? And are there any ones that are really out there that you go, whoa, I didn't expect that to be part of it? Well, the two symptoms that are really classic for Lyme disease, this bullseye rash, uh, it looks exactly like that. You know, you get bit by this tick. And by the way, for people who don't know, the majority of Lyme disease is through a tick bite, specifically a deer tick. So these ticks bite you and the ticks themselves have a little bit of anesthetic in their saliva. So when they bite you, you don't even know you got bit. You know, you get a mosquito bite, you get a horse fly, you feel it, you ouch, you know, I got bit. But with a tick bite, you won't even know you got bit. So you typically acquire it through a tick bite. And this bullseye rash can appear wherever the tick bites you on your skin. And, you know, if you've ever seen the logo for Target, it kind of mm -hmm. looks like that. It looks like a Target or a bullseye. Uh, so that is very classic to Lyme disease. The other symptoms very classic is what we call migratory joint pain. And what that means is that one day it's my right shoulder, then it's my left knee, then it's my right ankle. The joint pain just kind of seems to fluctuate. There's no other condition out there that we're aware of that causes that kind of joint pain where it fluctuates from one body part to another. Mm -hmm. So those are the two things when we hear about that's pretty classic for Lyme. Beyond that, the other symptoms, again, fever, swollen glands, chills, joint pain, uh, what they call neuropathy, numbness or tingling, particularly in your hands and your feet, uh, pounding headache, migraine, uh, visual disturbances. You know, there's over a hundred different symptoms associated with Lyme disease. And so often what happens is people get, you know, they get a fever, they get swollen uh, glands, they feel tired, they go to their doctor and they go, okay, well, you got a viral illness or, you know, maybe you've got mono or something like that. Yeah. You know, go home, rest, get some fluids. And, and they do. And then they go home and they don't get better. And then starts the litany of seeing doctors and specialists and, you know, on blood work, you know, everything kind of looks normal. Sometimes people even get MRI or other imaging studies kind of looks normal. So there's a lot of normal with Lyme disease, at least on blood work, mm -hmm. that just kind of helps facilitate missing that diagnosis. So often what happens is, you know, people go through, you know, several doctors, they finally get in the hands of someone who understands Lyme disease, you know, then they get the proper testing, get the proper valuation, and ultimately, you know, hopefully we start treatment. Man, and over a hundred. So I can imagine how people are just going, okay, I have joint pains. Let me go, let me go to a rheumatologist. Let's see what, what goes on there. Whoa, now like I'm getting really cognitive issues and I, I can't really remember, remember anything. Let's go to a neurologist. And it just goes over and over. You go to right. all these specialists. And it's sort of like a full body. It, that, see, that's what always fascinated me with Lyme disease. It's multi-systemic. It's full body, you know. And there's people who are manifesting. They, some people don't even have the bullseye rash, correct? 
Right, exactly. In fact, most people don't have the bullseye rash. Wow. It's pretty interesting. If you look at the CDC's website, they'll tell you up to 60 to 80% of people with Lyme get the bullseye rash. However, if you look in the medical research, it suggests that it's probably less than 50%. Wow. And those of us who actually treat Lyme patients will probably tell you it's less than 20%. So again, for people who get that rash, great, we know. The absence of the rash doesn't exclude the possibility of Lyme. And to make things even more confusing is that there are different types of rashes that don't look like a bullseye that can be associated with Lyme disease. So sometimes people get this mysterious rash and they get to go to the dermatologist. It's not eczema. It doesn't really itch. It's just this big, flat kind of growing rash. And the dermatologist says, you know, put some cortisone on it yeah. and you're on your way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's one of those things where there's different manifestations. So this is truly a disease of gradation. Mm -hmm. There is a spectrum in which it impacts people. And of course, some people who have a very robust immune system, they get exposed, their immune system takes care of it. And that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. And you have other people that their immune system is compromised, their terrain isn't healthy, and therefore they start to have, you know, potentially more progressive symptoms. Mm -hmm. And the longer you have this, the greater potential for it to become more debilitating. So when we start to see more neurological symptoms, the brain fog, the memory problems, the neuropathy, uh, the psychiatric issues. You know, this is one of the major things in psychiatry. I think it's grossly overlooked. The potential not for a Lyme, but for other microorganisms to cause neuropsychiatric symptoms, something like what we call PANS or PANDAS, pediatric acute onset neuropsychiatric syndrome can be associated with Lyme disease. People who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia and depression can be associated with Lyme. This potential for the organism to affect the brain and cause this neural inflammation is prevalent. It's, it's really quite common. And yet again, you go to the psychiatrist, here's a pill, fix your depression, fix your schizophrenia. And you know we know with these medications, they all come with a ton of side effects. So of course, they're never really getting at the root cause. And if you've got someone who's horribly depressed or suicidal, I mean, obviously you got to intervene where you got to intervene, but with the understanding that you're not really getting to the root cause. Mm. And if we're really practicing root cause medicine, you know, we have to look at this as a possibility. But this is one of the big things I see in my practice is that people been given this psychiatric diagnosis and nobody's really ever looked at the why. And this is a possible why. Incredible. Because how many of us are going to the doctor, getting medication, putting a Band-Aid on it, but it's just not going away, right? And to, to hear something like schizophrenia, right? Where you have, I mean, I live in Venice. I walk around the boardwalk. There's, there's schizophrenic. I, I know. I go, that's schizophrenia. To think that could have been maybe 20 years ago, they got bit by a deer tick. And, and it could have been prevented. It's incredible to just think about how these psychiatric disorders are connected to this. And I, I love that you mentioned the brain inflammation part. Um, how often does it take to really start progressing to the neurological part of Lyme? Is it different for everyone or is it usually like 10 years into it, five years into it? Yeah, I mean, everyone's Lyme is their Lyme and the way it impacts people can change dramatically. Uh, again, for some people, it may happen in the course of a matter of days to weeks. More often than not, these are people who've probably been misdiagnosed for years. Uh, again, I have people where, again, it's hard to track uh, when their exposure occurred. And I see people in my practice that I think their exposure may have happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But at the time, their immune system was healthy. They managed it. And then something happened. Their immune system became compromised. And we know with Lyme, this is an organism that is a true shapeshifter. It can, it's, if, if anyone ever takes a look at a picture of Lyme disease, it's this, what's called a spirochete. It's this sort of corkscrew-shaped organism. And that shape allows it to get into your cells. It allows it to change shape. So it'll go from that, that uncoiled, look, look like you guys remember a slinky. Mm -hmm. You know, you would take that slinky and pull it apart and then you would push it back together again. It's the same thing when you compact it, it goes into what's called a round body form or a cyst form. When it balls itself up like that though, it becomes dormant and it evades the immune system. The immune system doesn't recognize it in that form. So this, this organism that can change its shape, hide inside its cells, just makes it so much more difficult for the immune system to identify it. So if this organism is dormant in your body for five years, 10 years, and then your immune system becomes compromised and now it starts to manifest, you know, it can snowball fairly quickly after mm. that. And then again, we start seeing, you know, all these, you know, different types of symptoms, particularly the neurological symptoms. You know, my experience has been that, you know, when we start to see more neurological symptoms, you know, the harder it is to treat. So you know, early diagnosis, early treatment is always our best measure, but we got so many people out there walking around with it. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, again, when I think about people that have neurological symptoms 
and rheumatological symptoms. When they got the joint symptoms and the brain symptoms, there's not a lot of things out there that cause both. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's a big red flag that, hey, you might have Lyme disease. And you know, we're talking about Lyme, but I should sort of broaden that umbrella that tick-borne illness is as much of a deal because when you get bit by a tick that carries Lyme, depending on where you are in the world, we know like if you live in New England, 30% or more of these ticks that carry Lyme carry something else. Mm. So you might get Lyme or and Bartonella, Lyme and Babesia, Lyme and Mycoplasma. So it's possible if you've been infected that you've got more than one organism that you're dealing with. Mm. And these co-infections, they, they speed up the infective process and they speed up the way it manifests in the body. You mentioned Borrelia. Is there anything that, because I know those two, uh, the, um, the, well, you mentioned the mycoplasma too. Overall, is there anything, any two co-infections you see more than others, the Babesia and the Borrelia, the mycoplasma, which, is there anyone that you see in your practice, you go, these are like the tag team and they're always together. What is going on? Yeah, again, depending on where people live in the country, we know that some parts of the world that some of these co-infections are more prevalent than others. When I lived in Connecticut, I saw a lot of Babesia. I saw a lot of anaplasma. Now that I'm out in California, I see less anaplasma, but I have more Rickettsia. Mm -hmm. I see more Bartonella. So it kind of just depends on where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Babesia, Bartonella, those two are probably the two most common co-infections I see with Lyme disease. And the symptoms of Babesia and Bartonella can differ a little bit. There's a lot of overlap in symptoms, again, of the headache, fever, joint pain, and so forth. But for example, Babesia can cause this thing called air hunger, where you just feel like you just can't get a deep breath. You can also get this throbbing, pounding headache that's a little bit different than what you get with Lyme. Mm. You know, with uh, Bartonella, you can get these, these look like stretch marks on your body, but it's unrelated to changes in your weight. And often you'll see it go perpendicular to the natural skin folds. That wow. is a telltale sign of Bartonella. Yeah. Plus also you get this burning on the soles of your feet. So there's a few little clues that sometimes, you know, even without the testing yet, might tell us that this is part of what's going on. But again, you know, you really need someone who kind of understands the depth of this. And we've run into this political issue with the infectious disease doctors that they don't really recognize Lyme as being a chronic illness. You know, in their world, it's a, it's, you know, it's a short-term sure. treatment, you know, two to three weeks of antibiotics and you're done. And yet we've got so much research. Uh, Monica Embers out of Tulane University's shown that, you know, Lyme can be persistent. Uh, Dr. Uh, um, Zhang at uh, Johns Hopkins has also shown that, again, Lyme can be persistent. We've got these, these parts of these organisms called persister cells. And what that means is that even with appropriate antibiotic treatment, if you catch it very early, 20% or so of these organisms are already completely resistant to the treatment. And so if the treatment isn't addressing that 20%, well, that 20% continues to thrive and eventually causes more chronic illness. Wow. So why, you know, we've, we've run into this political battle about recognizing chronic Lyme. It just makes it more difficult for people to get diagnosed and get the appropriate treatment. It's incredible to hear. I, I know that there's people listening and viewing who are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, those symptoms, they're weird. And I, I had those and no one ever found out and now I'm getting worse. And to think how that manifests, but that's, it, it makes it hard for me to hear that there's no bridge between being like, this is chronic. There's a lot of people sick because the advances are much slower when it's like that. Right. right. And I know that you submitted it, that it's chronic. Cause I know you've seen people struggle over time. Um, when it comes, is it, is it partly because there's a testing element involved? It, and and is it is it comprehensive enough to to really get to the bottom of it? Because I know that there's some controversy behind like conventional testing, and and if there is, people who are viewing and listening who go, I, yeah, I have Lyme disease, I think, but it said it was negative, but I have all those symptoms. What do we do? So uh, I should qualify that I was a clinical microbiologist before I was a doctor. I actually did Lyme testing for a living, and it's a terrible test. I mean, by all standards of what we would say a test is a good test. A good test will be sensitive and specific. It means if you have the disease, does it pick it up? And if you have a positive test, does it actually mean you have what you think you have? And what we know from the research, the, you know, the CDC's recommendation is do what they call a two-tier test. The first tier is you do a screening test. It's an antibody blood test. Mm -hmm. If that's positive, it flexes over to what's called a Western blot, which is a much more specific antibody test. Well, we know that the sensitivity of the first screen is probably 50% or less. So it literally doesn't even pick up half the people that have Lyme disease. That's a terrible screening test. 
You know, I know for myself, when I had classic Lyme disease, I ran this test on myself. My Lyme screen was negative. I went ahead and did the Western blot anyway, and it lit up like a Christmas tree. Wow. So, you know, this test was never designed to be diagnostic. And if you go to the CDC's website and you read about the diagnosis of Lyme disease, it's a clinical diagnosis. That means it's based on your collection of symptoms. Plus, you know, do you live in an area that might be endemic for deer ticks? Uh, so the lab report is really just to confirm our suspicion as a clinician. It was never designed, again, to be diagnostic. It was designed to monitor people that had known Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. These are the people that had the bullseye rash, had the fever. They had all the classic symptoms. They wanted a way to monitor them. So that's what the test was really for. And in 40 years of research, we've never evolved to having a new way of you know, diagnosing Lyme. It's still based on clinical symptoms. So knowing that we've got sort of faulty testing. And there are labs out there that do better testing than your conventional reference lab, like Cluster LabCorp. Uh, you know, if you get a hit on that, if it comes back positive, the odds of it being a false positive are very, very low. But if it comes back negative, again, it doesn't exclude the possibility. And to make this even crazier, the Lyme Western blot, to call that test positive, you do an IgG and an IgM antibody test. IgM is typically the antibody we associate with sort of acute exposure, IgG more past exposure. So you have to have two out of these three antibodies on IgM or five out of 10 IgG antibodies to call either one positive. Well, we know, again, 40 years of research, some of these antibodies we test for are very specific to Lyme. Other antibodies are not specific. So if you've got one specific antibody to Lyme, but not two, yeah. or if you've got four and not five, but they're the Lyme specific, you know, in my mind, it's like being a little pregnant, right? I mean, you are, you aren't. If you've got that exposure and you have clinical symptoms, you know, now we're splitting hairs. Yeah. And the CDC set a very high bar for calling this test positive. So when you do this test, they compare you to a control and they're basically measuring the quantity of antibody. Well, if you don't meet 60% of the threshold of the control, they call it negative. And the lab that I use will actually send me a copy of the test itself. And I can see those percentages. I've had people come back at 59%, hmm. 58%. I mean, that's just a difference of how much water you drank that day. So that's the difference between you do or do not have Lyme disease. Yeah. Plus, you know, what if you're on a medication that suppresses your immune system? What if your exposure was two years ago? Immunity naturally wanes with time. So this idea of measuring quantity of antibody, again, might be appropriate in the very acute phases of Lyme, but the further you get away from that exposure, the likelihood of picking up that on that testing goes way down. Wow. So we all we have all these inherent flaws in testing. And again, you know, in, in bacteriology, you know, ideally you want to culture it. You want to, like, if you've got strep throat, I can swab your throat, grow strep out on a plate. We can't do that with Lyme. We don't really have a way to measure Lyme directly in the body. So we rely on these antibody tests, which is really just the immune reaction to the bug. Mm -hmm. Now, conversely, you could get bit by a tick, carries Lyme, your immune system responds appropriately, you get rid of it, you never get symptoms. But if I do your blood test, I might see antibodies. Yeah. So again, the presence of antibodies by itself doesn't mean you have Lyme. But you know, when we see the antibodies positive and you have the clinical symptoms, and we've kind of ruled out other things, you know, if it walks, you know, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. Now let's chat about something crucial that is omega-3s. You know I'm all about keeping clean and pure when it comes to products as well as food on my plate. But when it comes to supplements, right, we have to make sure we have the best of the best. But especially when it comes to omega-3s. And, and I really mean it. Omega-3s are some of the most adulterated supplements that exist out there. And a lot of companies aren't doing it right. We need omega-3s for our heart, for our brain, for our eye health. You might not be getting enough nutritionally. When it comes to Peori, it's a quality brand, not only just with omegas across their whole line. They're extremely transparent. Every batch undergoes rigorous testing against over 200 contaminants, and you could check the results for yourself. And that's one of my favorite things. You can scan the QR code and look at the batch that is right in front of you that is on your shelf or on your counter, and you can see the results for this quality testing. Pure's O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil delivers a potent dose of EPA and DHA without any unnecessary extras. Now, Pure is offering 20% off of their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil, the one that I take every single morning, and all their fantastic products to you, the Heal Thyself listener. That's 20% off even the already discounted subscription price. I want you to go to Pure.com. Use my promo code DRG, that's P-U-O-R-I dot com slash DRG to take care of your health with some of the best omegas out there by Peori. These days, these days, it seems like everyone is carrying on a beverage, whether it's soda or flavored water, or kombucha or coffee or tea, but not all beverages are created equal when it comes to quality and health benefits. That is why I become obsessed with Peaks Sun Goddess Matcha. I've been using this for, it's one of the first supplements I really invested in. It's four years ago, probably. 
And it's not just any old matcha powder. We're talking organic ceremonial grade matcha tea that has been meticulously screened for pesticides, heavy metals, mold, and even radioactive isotopes. Peak takes no shortcuts. Their matcha is cultivated by ninth degree tea masters in Kagoshima, Japan, using century old traditions. Their plants are shaded for 35% longer than usual to maximize the production of vital compounds like L-theanine for calm, steady energy and chlorophyll for its detoxifying anti-aging properties. I start every morning with a frothy cup of sun goddess matcha not just for energizing my body, you know, we all want to get that caffeine kick, yeah, okay, but for the amazing gut health, metabolism boosting, and antioxidant benefits. The phytonutrients nurture my digestive system, the EGCG compounds help my body burn calories efficiently, and the chlorophyll gives my skin the awesome reading. You see I'm glowing right now, right? That's because of the matcha. There's perfectly proportioned packets that are easy to mix with water whenever I need to pick me up, so easy to make a consistent self-care ritual. Peak is offering you, the Heal Thyself listener, 15% off of their sun goddess matcha plus a free beaker and a rechargeable frother when you go to peaklife.com slash drg they're so confident that you're going to love it there's even a 30-day money-back guarantee no code at checkout just go to p-i-q-u-e-l-i-f-e.com slash drg you're going to get 15 off plus all those freebies wow and, and just to think how many people have gone into the office and those antibody tests showed that okay you know what we don't we don't fill all the criteria it doesn't look like you have Lyme and as you mentioned a lot of us don't have the bullseye rash so then even more so they go you probably don't have Lyme you know you will just you probably may have a viral infection or something and then that's they believe they don't have Lyme and for five ten years you know they're suffering worse and worse and worse debilitating seeing specialists is there a test testing lab that you like like there's people viewing and listening who go Okay, so what, maybe I ask my doctor, and if doctor is really open, goes, yeah, you know, let's let's check it out. I actually agree with that. Yeah, fortunately, we have some labs out there that do different test kits. The way they report it is a little bit better. I think the sensitivity of their tests are better. So there's a lab out of New Jersey called Medical Diagnostic Labs. Uh, they're you know certified by all the groups out there that certify laboratories. So it's a, a good, reliable lab. Uh, I like them because, again, I think their testing is very high quality. I like the fact that they're the only lab that sends the doctor the actual Western blot to look at yourself. And again, I used to do these tests, so I know right. exactly what I'm looking at. Uh, I also like because they bill insurance and so many people are paying out of pocket for these expenses. At least this is one that tends to get covered. There's a great lab up in Palo Alto called Igenex. Uh, Igenex is kind of one of the gold standard labs. They've been doing Lyme testing and tick-borne illness for a long time. Great lab. Unfortunately, you know they, they don't bill insurance unless you're Medicare and it gets to be a little bit and expensive. And it's expensive. I used to use that one. Yeah. I so, I mean, if you do a full Lyme and, you know, tick-borne panel, it can be, you know, $1,500, you know, $2,000. Mm -hmm. uh, so it gets to be a little pricey, but they are a great, reliable lab. So, you know, often we're using one of these labs, you know, for Bartonella, we use one called Galaxy Labs. So sometimes for different organisms, there are labs that do better jobs than others. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you've got to get in the hands of a doctor that really kind of understands, you know, which labs to use and how to look at it. But again, at the end of the day, I think people need to understand that your test is not the end all and be all about whether you do or not have Lyme. So even if you do the test with the right lab and it comes back negative, if you've got the clinical symptoms and again, you've kind of ruled other things out, exactly. you know, it's, it's reasonable to look at some sort of treatment approach because... You know, we have some patients that are, you know, they're, they're kind of gray. You know, we, we don't have confirmative testing. They've got symptoms. They've been to the litany of specialists. And it's like, you know, let's try some treatment and see if you get better. Because if the treatment helps improve your symptoms, there's a pretty good chance we're on the right track mm -hmm. and that we're dealing with something infectious. So, and and, and thank you for bringing th those names to people because now they're going to be able to look into it and, and really see. And, and this is really empowering, right? Because... They'll hear the first part go, okay, okay, like I went to the doctor and, you know, they said I didn't have it, but I feel like I do. Now we have more options. That's, and thank you for that. A course of antibiotics, is that the, the go-to treatment, the gold standard for conventionally conventional doctors so yeah the, the conventional approach, approach you know the, the infectious disease society of america in fact they just revamped their guidelines uh, it used to be you know two to three weeks of antibiotics i think they're now down to just 10 days to 14 days of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Typically for an adult, it's doxycycline or amoxicillin for children. And, you know, you do that short course. Uh, if you do have, you know, what we call neuroborreliosis, that's Lyme that's infected the brain, they do actually re recommend IV antibiotics mm -hmm. uh, with rocephin. Uh, but that's pretty much it. You do that short course and then you're done. And then there's this other group out there called ILADS. It's the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society that kind of says, hey, wait, we recognize that you know, two to three weeks of antibiotics probably isn't enough. 
And I think what's really important for people to understand about Lyme too, is that it is an extremely slow growing bacteria. And to put this in perspective, you know, most bacteria in your body, you know, strep and staph replicate every 10 to 20 minutes. If you look at something like tuberculosis, if you get tuberculosis, they're going to put you on a triple antibiotic cocktail. And these are heavy duty antibiotics for nine to 12 months. Why so long? Well, because it's such a slow growing organism. So tuberculosis replicates about every 15 to 20 hours. So relative to every you know, 10 to 20 minutes, that's slow. When you look at the research on Lyme, it's every one to 16 days days. Mm. So if you've got an organism replicate replicates every 16 days, and I put you on an antibiotic course for 14 days, I have not right. even completed one life cycle of that organism. And if you look at a drug like doxycycline, doxycycline doesn't kill anything. All doxycycline does is it stops the organism from replicating. It's still dependent on your immune system for going after the organism and attacking it. So if I've got an antibiotic that's only designed to stop the replication, but the organism hasn't replicated, <laughs> you know, what are we really doing? Here? Right, right. So I think, you know, this is sort of the the pitfall of, you know, conventional antibiotic therapy is that the treatment probably just isn't long enough for most people. And it's so interesting, if you got a teenager with acne, you know, dermatologists will put you on doxycycline for months and they won't think twice about it. Right. So we have sure. plenty of other conditions out there where long-term antibiotics are used, you know, and nobody really thinks twice about it. And in this case, it's like, well, wait a second, Lyme, you only need two weeks or three weeks of treatment. Why would you do longer? That's dangerous. I mean, come on, you know, this is about applying science here and looking at, you know, how this organism grows, also knowing again that it can hide. So I think, you know, the ILADS group has come out with the position that you need at least six weeks of antibiotics for acute exposure. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for acute Lyme disease, antibiotics are very appropriate. I still have a lot of patients, like I'm a naturopathic doctor by training. Herbal medicine works beautifully. I have some people with acute Lyme disease that we treat with botanicals and it works really, really well. But if you're going to use antibiotics, this is the time. I think where we run into some uh, debate about with chronic Lyme disease, how efficacious are antibiotics when you have chronic Lyme disease? And look, I know plenty of doctors out there that use a lot of antibiotics in their their treatments. Their patients do really well. Great. I also see a lot of people that have been on long-term antibiotics and they're not doing great. So at what point do you say, hey, you know, maybe this isn't really the right approach. We need something different. Mm-hmm. And again, having you know used herbs for over 20 years in practice and you know, thousands of Lyme patients, I see, you know, that they work really, really well. And as you know, with herbs, you know, we're not just getting one effect, right? It's not just killing the bug. You know, herbs are anti-inflammatory, they mm-hmm. help promote better circulation, they help support our immune system. They're soothing to our gut. So we can mix and match herbs the right way for each person to really tailor it to what they need to get better. I love that. I love that you use the best of both worlds in this and it's so powerful. You mentioned the terrain. What else? Because we, we have these interventions like herbs and antibiotics. What are some of the things that are really important for you as far as terrain for people who, who can have a really robust immune system to maybe fight off the Lyme themselves, or if they do have Lyme right now in the meantime to really have a strong terrain? Well, I think the foundational thing is gut and diet, right? If your gut's not functioning well, we know that up to 80% of your immune function stems from the gut. So I see so many people, you know, it's chronic constipation, chronic diarrhea, you know, IBS kind of symptoms Mm -hmm. tells me just functionally that the gut's not doing well. So if the gut's not doing well, there's this chronic inflammatory process going on that can lead to systemic, you know, inflammation, whether it's the brain, the joints or otherwise. So we've got to get the gut health better. And we, you know, what you eat matters. You know, if you are living on junk food and processed food, it is going to be so much harder for you to get well. And that's true for any chronic illness. So I talk a lot in my book about, you know, an alkaline diet specifically. It's, you know, having played around with, you know, paleo and autoimmune and Mm. keto and all these other things. I find that physiologically, when you eat an alkaline diet, you're changing your cell pH in a way that facilitates cell repair, cell growth, it's anti-inflammatory, and it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, it's nutrient dense, so it really covers the bases of everything we want. And I think if we go back to our true paleo forefathers, I think this is the way they really ate. You know, we were mostly scavengers and we foraged off the land. We killed when we could. Right, we probably right. didn't kill every day. Right. So we had some animal protein, but mostly it's what we could pick off the ground or off a tree. So it's mostly plant-based diet, you know, limited animal protein, get rid of all the junk food, processed food, all these foods that we know promote inflammation. And it's funny. I mean, I, I've read a lot of books from other people out there. I think we all wrote the same book when it right. comes to diet. It's like, right, right. don't eat crap. Right. I mean, that's kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. Uh, but this is, again, is a sustainable way to eat. But it, it makes such a big difference because your gut ecology, that microbiome in your gut has such a profound effect on your immune system. And, you know, 
in addition to the infection with Lyme, it can also trigger this autoimmune event. And I think, again, when someone has had Lyme long-term, this is probably more of what they're dealing with than just the active infection. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people have been through a lot of different treatment, whether it's antibiotics or herbs to kill the bug, and they're still having problems. Well, if the organism uh, has turned on an autoimmune problem, you know, that's sort of a different set of issues that we need to address. Mm -hmm. And I think this, again, this is one area that conventional medicine really kind of misses the boat. And we've got, you know, a lot of evidence in the research that Lyme has this capacity. It can target the white matter of your brain. It can target your neurons. It can target your joints. So a lot of these symptoms that we associate with Lyme, you know, it's a little bit like COVID. It's like how much of it is the, the, the organism and how much is the immune response to it? So if we need to start changing the way the immune system is responding to it, you know, that kind of leads us down a different path. So mm -hmm. I think about treating Lyme as much of an autoimmune disease as it is an infection. And I love that you just said autoimmune disease. You know where I was going with this. <laughs> Are there a lot of does autoimmune develop from Lyme, first of all? I want to know, I would like to know if, if that's common. Um, and and autoimmune as a whole, does it come back to the food in the gut for you? Is that the two major things? Because there's, even if people aren't listening with Lyme, tons of us have autoimmune disease. I have psoriasis. Yeah. So uh, what are some of the major things you talk about with autoimmune disease in itself as well? Well, I think, you know, the connection with Lyme and autoimmunity, I mean, you think about really any autoimmune disease, you know, uh, so, you know, I got over Lyme over a decade later, I developed multiple sclerosis. So I have MS now, mm -hmm. there is a connection between Lyme and MS, I think, you know, it is a catalyst. Now, does everyone with MS have Lyme disease? No. Is there a connection for some people? Yes. If someone comes into me, and they've been diagnosed with MS or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, look, you go to the rheumatologist and say, hey, look, I've got this set of problems, the rheumatologist gives you this label. And you go, okay, great. Why? Like, I don't know. Well, is it possible that there's an underlying infectious agent that is a trigger? And again, if you go into the medical research, we know that there is a, a plethora of microbes between Epstein-Barr virus, mm -hmm. human herpes 6, Klebsiella, all associated with various autoimmune diseases. So something, and again, in your immune system has recognized this microbe as being an immune trigger. It's almost like your, your immune system is treating it like an allergen instead of a pathogen. It engages a different part of the immune system. So I think it's always good to look at, you know, are these underlying triggers, Lyme being one of them. But again, I've seen people who've been given these, you know, different autoimmune diagnoses. What's really kind of fascinating though, at least with Lyme disease, as a trigger, when you do a lot of the typical blood tests that a rheumatologist would run to help diagnose you with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, oftentimes they, they look normal. Yeah. You have all the clinical symptoms, but you don't have the blood work that necessarily reflects that. But for any kind of autoimmune disease, I think it's good to look at infectious agents as a potential trigger. Again, I, I hate to make a blanket statement. I don't think it's true that everyone with autoimmune disease has an infectious trigger. I mean, it can be toxin buildup. It can right. be other exposures. But I think this is a common one that gets overlooked. So for any autoimmune disease, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, gut and diet are, are so critical. You know, I'm friend with Dr. Terry Walls, you know, and her story, if you don't know, it was amazing. I mean, she was in a wheelchair for seven years with multiple sclerosis and in a year's time of just changing her diet, working on her gut health and doing some other things, you know, she went from being in a tilt reclined wheelchair to riding a bike. Exactly. And if you meet her today, she's just an amazing person. But again, it comes down to, you know, as we change our gut microbiome, we are able to start changing that genetic expression of all of the, you know, the, these different things that turn on that inflammatory process. I think, you know, with MS, you know, obviously being personally affected, I, I do a lot of research. And what's really interesting to me is that the cells in your brain that make myelin. So with MS, it's a breakdown of myelin. It's that sheath around your nerves that allows for the conductance between neuron to neuron. The cells that make myelin are still there. Mm. That's not the problem. The problem is that the immune system starts attacking the myelin. So if you can shut down that process, you still have the ability to make myelin. And even though you might get to a point where a specific neurons damage that you might not repair that neuron, you can now make collateral pathways around it mm. to circumvent that. Kind of like someone who's had a stroke, right? Mm. You know, they may not be able to speak for a while, but over time they build a new neural pathway and they can start to talk again. So again, I think we look at that underlying mechanism of any autoimmune disease. What is it that's triggering that inflammatory process? And again, we've got so much research on the gut microbiome. I, I swear, 
It's not really available much in the US yet, but we're gonna find that fecal microbial transplant is gonna be, I think, the wave of the future for these autoimmune diseases, knowing that that gut plays such an important yeah. role. We just haven't evolved yet to a point where it's become commonplace, everything's still in research studies, right. but I think we're gonna find that this plays a huge role. And again, what you eat makes such a big difference in controlling your microbiome. I love that. I love that we we got in from Lyme, infectious disease, right to the gut and how it's all connected. and. It empowers us so much because we can always re repair, rebuild, restore, heal our gut, you know, and, and it's a lot of time just really starting with the food. And um, I love that you talked about that diet. You mentioned something about your book. What book? What's the name of the book? So the book is called The Lime Solution. The Lime Solution. Okay. When yeah. did that come out? That came out in 2017. 2017. All right. I'm sorry, 2018. Sorry. Everyone out there, if you have Lyme, you have a loved one who has Lyme, get that book. All right. And uh, I would highly urge you and suggest you follow Dr. Darren's work. Um, and where do we find you? Do you have a website, Instagram? Yeah, well, I'm all over social media, everything at darreningelsnd.com. It's D-A-R-I-N-I-N-G-E-L-S-N-D.com. Uh, my website's the same. So yeah, we'd love for people to uh, follow us. We've got some great information about Lyme disease, autoimmune disease, and just getting healthy. And your practice is where? Irvine, California. Okay, awesome. And you just take California patients or? No, uh, I think the, the beauty of the pandemic is that we've opened up to working with people remotely. So we work with people all over the world. If you have Lyme, a loved one has Lyme, I want you to reach out to the doc right here. He is the specialist. He's the best of the best. Thank you so much for joining the show, man. Right, thanks for having me, man.